Last month, the Financial Conduct Authority published its business plan for 2021-22, setting out how it plans to adapt itself to address the, quote, profound forces transforming the entire landscape of financial services, unquote. But what does this mean for financial advisors? Well, for a start, the FCA has said it will be conducting a review into the scope and coverage of the financial services compensation scheme. Will this bring about the reform many advisors want? And what impact will the promised tougher approach on authorizations have? I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor, and with me to discuss these topics are Tim Fassam, Director of Government Relations and Policy at PIMFA, and Neil Moles, Chief Executive of Progeny. Hello, both. Hi. Hi. Hello. So one of the announcements the FCA made on the same day as, as the business plan, I don't think it was technically part of the business plan, was that they would be uh, cancelling the uh, second uh, suitability review. Tim, what, what do you think about the fact that they've, they've cancelled this? Is there any work for advisors still to do in, in this area, do you think, or maybe the FCA is happy? Yeah, I, th I think um, in many ways... Uh, the FCA is taking some of the work that it wanted to do through the second suitability review forward through other uh, initiatives. Um, so unfortunately, I don't think um, it, it's an area where advisors can take their eye off the ball. Um, we know there's going to be further work, uh, particularly in light of the recent issue with British Seal on uh, pension transfer advice. Um and we know that they're interested in advice linked to SIPs as well, particularly investments in unregulated products within SIPs. But they're both moving ahead with separate pieces of work that we expect to look at suitability. But to be more specific uh, in terms of, of their scope and also look at a range of other related issues, um, they also have uh, their work on the new consumer duty which in many ways also looks at, at suitability, both in terms of initial recommendations, but also in terms of ongoing assessment of suitability. And, and this could potentially have a very significant impact on how uh, advisors and firms across the wealth management industry uh, need to operate um, once that, that detail emerges. So I think good news in a way that, that this specific uh, review uh, has been parked but I think if you're an advice firm you still want to be absolutely confident on the suitability of, of the advice you give and how you disclose it. Mm. Uh, Neil what's your, your opinion as someone who runs a, an advice firm? Uh, Tim I completely agree um, I think fundamentally we have to take responsibility for the advice that we give and not you know not pass that down to, to the FCA um, I think one of the, the interesting things, you know, born out of the two, or the, the, the first suitability review, you know, there's 93% uh, of advice was suitable. Um, but, you know, there was some fairly large failings around disclosure. Um, and personally, I, I would be keen to make sure that that's been picked up. Because I think, you know, trust is created through transparency. Um, so for me, as a business operating in, in the independent space, it's of paramount importance that, you know, everyone is disclosing properly to clients. We, we build common trust, um, you know, and improve the marketplace together. Um, I think Tim, Tim's also correct. I think the, the SCA are looking at things through a different lens in terms of different ways of, of dealing with potentially the, the retirement income. Um, you know, we've had a lot of different levers pulled when it comes to retirement advice in the last four or five years, pension freedoms. Um, you've had the baby boomers come through. 
Um, and then we've had, unfortunately, you know, more scandals in the industry, such as the British Steel, and um, you know, as Tim also alludes to, you know, the uh, the type of esoteric investments that now end up in in SIPs. Um, so, you know, I think the, the the FCA seem to be more focused on the way they're looking at certain pieces um, of the landscape at the moment, as opposed to just having this overarching review around retirement and retirement income provision. So, there's still a few pieces I would like to see picked up around disclosure. Because I think we we need to constantly see that we're improving um, as a profession, um, and then ultimately, yeah, I think if the FCA can be more agile um, and willing to to cancel reviews and and be more targeted in their approach, then I believe that has to be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. As you said, Neil, the um, main concern that the FCA had during its from from its last review was the issue of disclosure. Do you get the impression that that's improved? Um, no, 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 I don't. It's the honest answer. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be having more defined benefit scandals. And, you know, the, the, and the, the, the issue around, you know, the unregulated investment in SIPs is almost directly linked to you know, the defined benefit scandals. You know, people were not only being charged to move the defined benefit scheme, they were then being charged you know, insane amounts of money to then invest the capital again. Um, if full disclosure was given, surely alarm bells would ring with consumers you would you would genuinely hope and and if not then there's a bigger piece of work to do here with with consumers and education around the levels of fees that are appropriate for advice mm. so i think if, if if we had better disclosure and, and better understanding and education i think it would help with these scandals if, if that's what they are mm. tim what do you think um, yeah, I mean, I think you know many firms, PIMFA members, put, have put a huge amount of effort into um, improving their disclosures and continue to do so. I mean, customer communication, um, as Neil says, is absolutely the heart of building um, trust and ensuring transparency. And so it's sort of a journey that never ends for most firms. You're always going to be looking to improve. Um, I think the the challenge in the area that Neil Neil raises is that many of those firms aren't following the rules today. So a new set of rules for them not to follow won't make a huge amount of difference. And and this is one of the the challenges that we've uh, at PIMFA put to the FCA a number of times that continuing to increase the regulatory burden on firms that are already doing the right thing um, isn't actually going to help in many of these areas, particularly when they are, um, as we saw with with LCF, for example, um, the issue there is that they're stepping outside their regulatory permissions and giving advice when they don't have advice advice permissions. So changing suitability rules won't won't have any impact in in that space. I think absolutely in terms of um, uh, defined benefit transfers and pension transfers, what has been helpful, I think, is that the FCA have published a document earlier this year that made very, very clear how they were assessing suitability um, in in a backwards-looking way. And they will be publishing another document later in the year that will look at suitability on a forward-looking basis and what their expectations. And, And that additional clarity on what their expectations are in terms of suitability, in terms of of, um, 
disclosure is very helpful for the firms that want to do the right thing and are very aware that this is a complex area where often customers want to do something that isn't in their interest um, that they are legally entitled to do and that the regulator has been very clear um, that they believe is not the right thing for customers to do in almost all circumstances. So it's it's not an easy area for firms. So I think that clarity has has helped them improve. Moving on to one of the topics I discussed earlier, uh, um, the potential for review into the scope and coverage of the FSCS. There's potential for maybe shifting the focus onto capital adequacy uh, instead. Uh, Tim, do you think this is going to address the the concerns that advisors have about the the levy? I think if done intelligently, it can... um, help to a certain extent but it's absolutely not a silver bullet and comes with the potential for significant unintended consequences as it increases the capital requirements on firms that are already doing the right thing um certainly there are circumstances where firms um are not holding an appropriate level of capital for the, for the risk that they preserve, uh, present. And, and it's right that the regulator looks at that. But there are also plenty of firms that are providing an excellent service and putting that additional burden will only increase costs for, um, for customers. So they've got to be judicious about how they apply it. It also misses, to go back to what we were talking about just then, um, one of the issues is uh, if you look at the big compensation bills that have come through, are people stepping outside of their regulatory permissions? So if you are looking at the potential um as the FCA have suggested, looking at the potential impact of a firm failing and what that may mean when they assess how much capital they should hold. Are they going to assess on the basis that a firm may do things that they don't have permission for? You know, Would they have asked LCF to hold capital um, on the basis that they might have stepped over the line and given advice? I don't know. I mean, that would be quite hard to justify to say we're going to capitalise you things you might do that you don't have permission to do and that you're saying you're not going to do. Um, that would catch an awful lot of firms who are doing the right thing and are staying within their permissions. Um, I think there are a number of other things within the business plan where actually the FCA have accepted recommendations that that PIMFA have made um, that will be valuable. So one thing we've called on is for them to assess both the regulatory perimeter and the way the regulation and supervision operate against the claims and costs of the FSCS. So one of the lenses through which they should be looking at their own uh, supervisory and regulatory activity is will this reduce the cost on the FSCS? Will this reduce the risk that consumers will, um, will, will have a bad outcome? And I think we're going to talk about this later. I think there's some very sensible ideas about regulatory nurseries and identifying uh, and providing a higher level of oversight for new firms, um, as well as improvements in data collection, data sharing, uh, and some of the areas they're looking at in the wider consumer investment market that that will help. But capital requirements, absolutely worth considering in the mix, 
but can't be the whole story. And they have to be very careful that they're not going to uh, make it very difficult for new entrants to come into the market and for firms to continue to serve their customers. Mm. What do you think, Neil? Do you, would you prefer to see a, a more of a focus on capital adequacy? Uh, as, a, as a firm, would you rather hold greater capital than pay a, a, a sizable FCS levy? I think a number of things. I think Tim's absolutely right. My, the first point is, how do you stop firms working outside of their um, regulation? Um, um, I think, you know, if there was more of a focus on that um, and whether that can be provider-led, um, I don't know. But yeah, ultimately, if you're, we have a framework that we all should be operating in, which is our, you know, the, the conduct of within the SCA. And if, if we're operating outside of that, then, you know, that's straight away going to fall to the FSCS. And one of the comments that, that was made in the, in the report is that the FCA wants to see firms fail in an orderly fashion. Um, never seen anyone fall over in an orderly fashion. Um, you know, if, if, if cash is there and it's in the business and the firm's going to fail, guess what? It'll disappear. And it always does. Um, and that's why it fails, because it runs out of cash. So I don't think you can fall, you know, fall in, in an orderly fashion, fail in an orderly fashion. Um, so I think we have to be careful here as to what we don't want to do is to damage the industry. Um, and I think if it creates barriers to entry, I think that's a bad thing. We've got a lot of next-gen firms starting up, which is superb to see new technologies, new ways of doing things, and you know we have to ultimately support that. Um, and you know we can't just become a uh, an industry, a profession of large firms. It needs innovation, so we have to have the smaller firms out there because that's what clients want. You know they've told us they want that. They want that small firm feel, and any barriers that that exist, it just won't work. So fundamentally, I think if you're going to shift it onto a CAPAD requirement, unless you can ring fence that capital securely somewhere, it's an irrelevance. Because if people are going to operate outside the parameters anyway, it's irrelevant. So unless you're going to make you know, firms actually lodge a deposit with the FCA to say, here's my capital, here's my cash, you can have that and I'll have it back when I you know, deauthorize de in many years to come. I just don't see how CAPAD personally is, is the, the route that we should be following here because we're not actually attacking the right problem. Um, I think Tim's point is, is, is more, more relevant in terms of people act, acting outside of the permissions. Mm. And um, you've, you've both alluded to this, but one of the other areas the FCA has looked at is, uh, is taking a tougher approach to the uh, what it calls the authorization gateway. And it's uh, suggested introducing a, a regulatory nursery, which would make sure that the FCA was providing a very high level of, of guidance and um, intervention and oversight to firms which are newly authorized. Neil, do you think that's um, a good approach, a better approach than it has now? I think you have to take it back a step. Um, and, you know, ultimately, why are we having to do that? I think we have you know, a lot of firms out there that, that fail um, and that their directors or financial planners appear two weeks later in a different firm with a different name with, when we've changed two vowels. That, that can't be allowed to happen. You know, we've had so much phoenixing going on in the, in the, in the business, in the industry, should I say. Um, so, you know, we have, to be, we have to really look at the fit and proper person rules. Um, around how people are regulated. And I don't see how someone who has recently been a part of a business that's just failed, potentially, you know, made mistakes through the DB transfer process is allowed to get authorization again. Um, I don't see how a nursery is going to help that because again, we're talking about people acting outside parameters. 
you know, yeah, and let's face it, you know, the majority, I mean, the vast majority of this profession works within those parameters and is doing a great job for the consumer. And again, we're being governed by the minorities. So I think a nurse was a good idea um, in terms of, you know, looking after and providing support to young firms. You know, I just spoke about, you know, no more sort of next gen advisory firms uh, who probably don't know the rules as well as some of the more, you know, the larger firms out there. So providing a framework and support to those is, is vital. Um, but if it's just going to be used as a, as a measure to try and, you know, deal with those people that potentially should not be in this industry, and frankly, they shouldn't be in the industry, um, then no, I don't think it works. Mm. I suppose it's more a question of not letting them in in the first place rather than providing them with and having to having to give them a named supervisor for the first year of their existence, I guess. Look, I think, yeah, I mean, I have a bugbear about the FSCS levy that's nothing to do with that. The reality is the FSCS levy, you know, increasing PI premiums are not a result of how we're acting today. It's how we acted in the past. And all we're doing is paying for, for past problems that, that we've built up. These firms have, have had the profits, they've done really well, they've retired, and we're now paying for that. You know, I believe the, the majority of the profession acts professionally and does really well today. But unless we come together as a profession and say, no, this is this is the end, we're going to self-govern, perhaps, why do we need the FCA to do it? You know, why can't we come together and, and, and have that, that code of ethics that calls out bad practice and that doesn't allow it to exist? Um, if we do that, you know, very much more like the accountancy profession operates, um, then I think we can we can we can do part of the job for the FCA. It's it's now impossible to supervise 13,000 firms, even with the support of networks uh, and various other things. So we, we have to take our own responsibility now um, if we want this to be a profession for the future. Tim, what do you, what do you think about this? So you alluded a little earlier to the fact that this, this particular area might be more impactful on, on some of the issues like FCS levy than, than the FCS levy review. So I think it's if done in the right way i think it's an excellent idea but what i mean by that is uh you know my my daughter's at nursery um you know, 18 months old and they look after her development they want her to eat well and you know walk on her motor, work on her motor skills and things like that if you are going to nursery regulatory nursery with the fca taking an attitude of you are a new firm and we want to help you succeed by helping you understand the regulation and by recognizing that as a new firm um, you have a learning curve then I think that can be hugely beneficial to firms a bit like the the fintech sandbox a safe space to operate to ask questions to get yourself in good shape and for the regulator to have uh, a greater oversight to spot the bad actors, the firms that have been set up just to funnel money into uh, some um, suboptimal or, or, or outright fraudulent scheme um, because they have that additional level of oversight. Because as many firms are well aware, the vast majority of financial advisors are regulated by a call centre with a very light touch. I know many of our members are very concerned about the level of regulatory oversight that they receive, not because they think the regulator is missing anything they're doing, but because they're there going, well, if this is uh, the kind of light touch that we get, we can absolutely see how the bad guys can 
get away with behaving poorly without being detected. Um, and we know that, you know, that the poor firms do tend to be set up and engage, you know, have quite short life cycles. So as long as the FCA go with the right attitude, that ideally they're assuming that firms are on the level and that they are there to be helped to succeed, um, I think this could be really valuable, not just in terms of um, the FSCS levy and, and spotting the bad actors, but actually um, making it easier to be a new entrant um, with that additional level of support. Mm. Neil, would you, as a, as, a, as a firm, would you object to a greater FS, FCA presence in, in your life, perhaps? No, not at all. I think it's a, it's a, it's a valuable thing. Um, ultimately, um, I think Tim's right. If we can support, you know, the the next generation of firms coming into into the profession, that would be great. Um, but I think actually, you know, I think it, it's it's good to share good ideas. It's good to share bad practice. It's not good to share bad practice. It's good to learn from it. Ultimately, so you know, I think the the more we can interact with the regulator, you know, hopefully we can share more of the good that we're doing. Yeah, you know, we can call out the bad practices that we're seeing. Um, you know, and that, so yeah, I'd absolutely welcome. Um, you know, more and, and just more contact. You know, we, we yes, we we do have more contact because we're a larger business with you know, with with the FCA. But um, it's it's not thought leadership. It's not you know looking at how we can can improve the profession. It's not looking at how we can bring it together. Um, so I think there's there's a lot more of that that could be done. Um, you know, to bring together firms to to discuss and debate what the future should should look like. Um, we don't seem to get much of that. It would just seem to be, you know, governed after the event. Mm-hmm. And you, you both alluded to phoenixing uh, during your comments previously. Is that, um, have you seen anything that you, you think is, suggests that the FCA is likely to get on, get on top of, of that particular issue? Um, Neil? Um, I think there's, there's different types, whether phoenixing, phoenixing, isn't it? Um, I think there's a number of things here. Phoenixing is one thing, um, you know, which is burying past liabilities and starting up the next day with a slightly different name. Um, I think I think the FCA are, are clamping down on that, and I think you know the obviously the, the British Steel defined benefit scandals that, that have gone on have certainly helped highlight the firms that that have been doing that. Um, but I think there's, there's also another thing to, to look at here, which is, you know, there's a lot of consolidation going on in the sector, huge amounts. And it, it's only going to you know, get turbocharged now with, uh, with private equity entering the space. Um, so how are firms um, laid to rest when these, these acquisitions are done? Where are the liabilities left? Yeah, because typically I see that the insurance industry doesn't want to take on past liabilities. Uh, are they ultimately been laid at the door of the FSCS? I'm not sure that's particularly fair. You know, you can't run your business, you know, get top dollar for it and then leave the liability with the rest of us. So, you know, I think that's where more work is needed. And I, I do I do understand that the FCAR have been a lot more firmer on where liabilities rest now. But I certainly think over the past four or five years, there is a lot that within the next certainly six years will just land at the door of the FSCS again. Mm. And what do you think? I think we've got to um, we've got to get on top of the, the sort of wider systemic issues that are going on in the regulatory system because I think a lot of what we're seeing that is generating cost into the FSCS is um, 
linked to how the supervisory process works as a whole. And this is where we need um, the regulator to focus because I think there's always a uh, a temptation to want new rules and new requirements. Um, If you're the regulator, you can understand why you would would default to a position of we don't have the powers or we don't have the right rules or we, we need more. Um, rather than looking at what they could have done with what they already have and whether they could do that better. And I think one of the things we've been pushing for is that that should be a standard part of the assessment protocol. Um, No new regulation, no new requirements should come in without the regulator having looked at could they have achieved it with the current rules and current requirements by them behaving differently. Um, and we've, uh, for the last two years, uh, we, we published quite an important report on the future of supervision. And I think one of the things in the um, the business plan that will have the most significant impact in the longer term is some recognition of that need to change um, supervisory process and, and the kind of way that the FCA operates. Um, and in particular, to be much more data driven. And there are positives and negatives for that, but I think it it does recognize that they need to take a more risk-based approach where they're using data to identify where the real risks of harm are and focusing their attention in those particular areas rather than what often happens, which is increase the regulatory burden on the firms that are already largely doing the right thing. Yeah, I guess it all comes back down to the... uh process of how you regulate rather than the actual regulations them, them, themselves, uh, I guess. Right. Well, uh, that's a lot of people thought there. Thanks very much, uh, Tim. And thanks very much, Neil. And uh, thank you very much for listening and tuning again next week for the next edition of the uh, FT Advisor podcast. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.